Father, as we hear the music from around the world on this World Communion Sunday, Lord, we know that all over the world there are people who are trapped in all kinds of circumstances they don't know how to get out of. And Lord, even in in this room, we have people who are trapped in all kinds of circumstances we don't know how to get out of. But Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us this morning and teach us from it so that we could be free. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. At the end of my first year as a pastor at Stanford, I decided I'd go to baccalaureate to support some of the students. And my plan was just to stand back away from the audience and sort of observe the ceremony from afar. So I showed up wearing dockers and a polo shirt, thinking that that would be sufficient for the occasion. But as I was standing there watching the procession, all the other campus pastors started marching out. And I remember thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Was I supposed to be here? And right about that time, I heard one of them say, Scott, you're supposed to be here. Get in line. Now, they were all wearing suits and academic robes, and I'm wearing dockers and a polo shirt I bought during the Reagan administration. It's the Scott Dudley look, always in fashion. And I said, I can't, I can't get in line. Look at me. And he said, don't worry. No one will see you. So I, you know where this is going, right? So I joined the procession thinking we're just going to sit in the audience, no big deal. Oh no, as we're marching on, I see a stage up front. And I say, oh God, please no. Please no, no. Sure enough, we march up on the stage and then I think, okay, well, maybe I'll end up in the back row and no one will see me. And I'm looking for a way to get out of this, but there's no, you know, there's no aisle, there's no seats. I'm thinking, okay, please, in the back row. Oh no, no, no. Front row, in the center. (laughs) Thousands of people looking at me while everyone else around me is wearing suits and academic robes and thousands of people looking at me and my polo shirt. (laughs) And sitting right next to me, Condoleezza Rice. (laughs) Then the provost at Stanford, now the national security advisor, who knows who I am because I worked with her on a committee. So no anonymity there, right? And I'm just thinking this is great. So it should give you a great sense of pride knowing that our national security advisor thinks that your pastor is a cave-dwelling troll. <laughs> the whole time I was up there, I th- there's got to be a way out of this thing. You know, how can I get out? But there was no way out. I was absolutely trapped. Now, that is a lighthearted example of how a lot of people feel in life. They feel trapped. Trapped by forces or processes or systems or by people more powerful than they are, and they don't know how to get out of it. As a way of preparing for our 50th anniversary next year, we've been talking about the biblical year of Jubilee. This year that God commanded his people to celebrate every 50 years. And so far we've talked about how that was meant to be a year of rest, a year to help the poor, and a year to bring healing. It was also a year to set people free. In the year of Jubilee, God commanded all slaves to be released. And when Jesus comes and says that he fulfills Jubilee, he says, I have come to bring release to the captives. So as we celebrate our 50th anniversary, one of the things I think God wants to use us for is to set people free from whatever it is that is keeping them oppressed. And our world is in desperate need of that. And it's appropriate on World Communion Sunday to think about all the places in our world where people are experiencing oppression. 
people who are falsely imprisoned for their political or religious beliefs. Thousands of young girls are are forced to work as prostitutes, kidnapped and forced into prostitution. Widows have their land taken from them. Now, here at home, those kinds of abuses don't happen as much, although sometimes they do. But mostly we have subtler forms of oppression. The woman who's sexually harassed at work. The single parent who has to work constantly and spend up to half their income on childcare, and they never seem to be able to get out of that vicious cycle. The immigrant who's trying to make it but's having a hard time because they don't know the language and they can't navigate the bureaucracies of our culture. These people are trapped in circumstances they can't get out of on their own. There's also another kind of oppression that many of us experience, and it's much subtler. It's the social pressures we feel to succeed, to look like we have it all together, to drive the right car, to look like a supermodel. And all of that is a kind of oppression as well. And in all of these cases, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to liberate us from whatever it is that is keeping us trapped. In the story we just read this morning, there are two kinds of oppressed people. The first is the woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She's oppressed in a lot of ways. For starters, she's a woman in a culture that considered women to be property. Not only that, but she's had a hemorrhage for 12 years, probably a menstrual flow that would not stop. And in her culture, what that meant was that she was considered unclean. And anyone who touched her was considered unclean, which meant that no man would marry her, no employer would hire her, no one would be her friend, her family would have cast her out years ago. She couldn't even worship God. They'd have kicked her out of the temple. And to make matters worse, the text says she'd been exploited by doctors who took all of her money even though they didn't know how to cure her. Alone and poor, she's oppressed. And Jesus sets her free. To start with, he heals her, which is a great beginning. But more than that, he gives her a sense of dignity. Because you see, this woman not only has a problem, she has an embarrassing problem. And she's considered unclean. And so she's trapped by all kinds of shame and embarrassment. That's why she approaches Jesus anonymously. Now, I don't know about you, but I think embarrassment is an underrated emotion. Don't you? I mean, love and hate get all the press, but embarrassment can control us. Sometimes at night I'll be laying in bed and I'll think of something embarrassing that I've done, like wearing wrong clothes to formal ceremonies. And I'll think of something that I've done that's embarrassing and I'll make this sound. I'll go, Doo! any of you ever do that? Okay, I'm not alone. And and I'll make this sound, and and my wife will say, what is it? What's wrong? And I'll say, oh, nothing, just taking a tour through the hall of shame. (laughs) Shame can oppress us. And often people who have been oppressed through poverty or sexual harassment or not fitting into the culture, they have been made to feel a great deal of embarrassment as many of us in this room maybe have, for whatever reasons. And Jesus liberates this woman from all of that. He stops what he's doing, he looks around, he finds her out of this crowd, picks her out of this crowd, and then he calls her daughter. This woman, who has been called every name in the book except for a nice one, finally gets treated with respect and dignity for the first time in 12 years. Jesus is even willing to stop his important mission to heal Jairus' daughter for this woman. Right? Jairus is the rich, powerful religious leader whose daughter Jesus was going to go heal. 
He's got a lot of power. He's a somebody in the community. This woman is considered a nobody. But Jesus stops for her. And it kind of bothers the disciples. You can tell. They say, come on, Jesus, what are we doing here? Let's, let's go. You know, they're, they're basically saying, you know, let's go help the rich religious leader, right? He's important. He has the power to promote you, Jesus. You know, if we get on his good side, our ship has come in. You could be senior pastor at First Pharisaical Church, Jerusalem. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that? In other words, Jesus, she's a nobody. Let's go help the somebody. But to Jesus, nobody is a nobody. And by treating this woman with dignity, he frees her from the shame that has oppressed her for 12 years. Sometimes when a homeless person will ask me for money, I'll say, you know what, I'm not going to give you money, but I will take you to any restaurant on this street and I'll buy you dinner. And I'm just hoping I'm not standing in front of Seastar at the time. And I have gone into some pretty nice restaurants with homeless people. And what I love about that is for one hour in that day, that homeless person is not treated like riffraff, but is treated with the same respect that I'm given as a middle-class white American male. Jesus frees the oppressed. And he also frees them from the shame, frees us from the shame that can accompany oppression. But there's another person who is trapped in this story. And that's Jairus. In the case of the woman with the hemorrhage, you have a down and outer. But in Jairus's case, he's an up and inner. He has money, status, and power. He's a religious leader. But there are a lot of traps to being on the up and in as well. There's a lot of social pressure on the up and in to succeed. Always look good on the outside. Keep up with the Joneses. Wear the right designer labels. And that can be oppressive. And Jairus' religion has become oppressive. In first century Palestine, religion had become a matter of ritual and tradition, but nothing about connecting with, with God. And according to the rules of his religion, he shouldn't even be talking to Jesus. Jesus is a rabble-rouser. And, and, and he could lose his job or even his reputation if he spends time with Jesus. Which is sad, because here you have God in the flesh running around, walking on water, healing people. And, and according to his religion, Jairus cannot even go experience the power of Jesus. He's part of a social culture that puts all kinds of pressure on him. And he's part of a religious culture that keeps him from experiencing the full power of Jesus. Now, for those of us who are on the up and in, we can get oppressed by those same things if we're not careful. We can spend too much effort trying to drive the right car or have the impressive job or make sure we're comfortable. And if we're not careful, our our faith can become just one more routine thing we do in the week rather than an encounter with the living, holy, all-powerful God. In fact, we may not want an encounter with the living, holy, all-powerful God. That might be scary. I have a friend who goes into some of the seedier bars in Seattle, and he just sits there and he prays for the people around him. And if anyone wants to talk, he's there, he's available. Now, I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid of what people might think if they saw me in those bars, or I'm afraid of how uncomfortable that might make me. But what power do I miss out on? What amazing experience will I never have because I'm oppressed by a desire for comfort and a concern for what everyone thinks about me? Jesus wants to liberate us from that. In Jairus' case, Jairus comes and, and, and falls at Jesus' feet and asks Jesus to heal his daughter. Propriety gets shoved aside out of a passion to know who Jesus is. 
And then what does Jesus do? He stops going to Jairus' house and he lets Jairus be a part of freeing this woman with a hemorrhage. And then he goes to Jairus' house and revives his daughter. And in this whole process, Jairus goes from the stale, the bland, the ordinary to wow. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Jesus wants to free the oppressed and he wants to free us as well. And just like the way that part of the way that Jesus liberates Jairus is to allow him to be part of freeing the woman with a hemorrhage. One of the ways that Jesus will free us is by asking us to participate with him in liberating oppressed people, whether they are down and out or up and in. And there are all kinds of ways to do this. The Jubilee booth in the back, you can find out information about an organization called International Justice Mission. Its founder spoke here last January. That's a Christ-centered organization that seeks justice for victims of oppression all around the world. There are peace and justice appeal letters you can sign. We have a group of people that go to the prisons and lead Bible studies to help prisoners know Jesus and learn how to stay out of a life of crime so they don't just end up back in jail. You could simply babysit for a single parent and just give them a break. Do you have business or financial skills? There's a man from our church who goes into inner-city Seattle and meets with people there who are trying to start up a business. And he helps them develop a business plan and secure loans so that they can break free from the cycle of poverty. You could help with that. Maybe it is as simple as treating people with kindness. One of our elders told me this week that because service people in our culture are often treated like nobodies, and that's oppressive, She always makes a specific effort to talk to the janitor or the person who serves her food. What am I trying to say here? Serves her food to let them know that they matter. There are a lot of ways to free people from oppression. And when we do, you know who we free the most is ourselves. We free ourselves from fixating on our own worries. Free ourselves from the dangers of having our faith be dull and routine. Free ourselves to experience the full thrill of knowing Jesus. Last month I had a conversation with a woman who's attended here for a long time. She refers to herself as one of our more mature senior citizens. After years of marriage and raising a family, her husband left her. But right after that, she decided that what she wanted to do was have foster kids live in her home. Now, I don't know if you know much about that, but that's not easy. These kids are either come from abusive homes or no home at all. They're often in trouble at school, in trouble with the law, and they're trapped. They're trapped in a lifestyle they don't know how to get out of, trapped in a system they don't know how to make work for them. And she wanted to give these kids a second chance so, uh, to get out of that kind of bondage, so she opened up her home for these kids. Well, after she'd had one or two foster kids, she decided that she could have even more if she owned a house. So she went out and found a house that she liked and made an offer on it, and the owner rejected the offer. But she still felt like that was the house that God wanted her to have, so she just waited a while, and after about six months, she noticed that the house hadn't sold yet, so she went back and made a second offer, this time lower than the first. And the owner said, this is lower than your first offer. I didn't take that one. Why should I take this one? She said, well, I noticed you haven't sold your house. So she got the house and immediately filled it up with foster kids, three, four at a time. Remember, she's a single woman, not very wealthy, 
And many of these foster kids continued in a lifestyle that was destructive. But some of them broke free of their bondage and were able to go on to school or join the army or get good jobs. And she still hears from some of them. And she, she did this for years until she decided that she was too old to have foster kids. So then she started doing prison ministry instead. Because you're never too old for prison ministry, right? In fact, she spent so much time visiting prisoners that one of her foster kids said, Mom, you spend more time in jail than I do. (laughs) She has freed the oppressed by giving those foster kids a second chance, by helping prisoners to find the love of Jesus and helping them know how they can change their way of living so they don't end up back in jail. And she's freed all of those people by giving them a sense of of dignity and by showing them that they mattered to someone. They weren't nobodies. And in a way, I think she's freed herself, too. When she could have just called it quits and retired, when she was still reeling from the pain of a divorce, she got out of herself, gave herself away, and and in the process experienced the full power of Jesus. And as a consequence, she is one of the most joy-filled people I know. Every Sunday, she finds me in the narthex, braves my shyness, and gives me a big hug. And she always has something positive to say. And I asked her in this conversation why, after raising a family of her own, did she do this incredibly hard thing to take in foster kids? And she looked at me as if I were nuts. And she said, well, pastor, but I think she really meant, listen, sonny, Because it makes me happy. And then she said, stop worrying. You worry too much. Just let God use you and he'll do the rest, which was good advice. Now, if you were to meet her, you would think, what a wonderful, nice woman. And that's true. She is those things. But there's more. She's not only nice and sweet. She's a rock. She is an Amazon of faith. She's a barbarian Christian who knows the power of God and is not afraid to invoke it. And when she's in the house, church is not boring because she's talking about a take no prisoners, show no fear, believe all things are possible, go anywhere, do anything, see the power of God. I ain't afraid of no devil faith. And she's been living that her whole life long. And I want that kind of life. Don't you? I want to be freed from fixating on myself. I want to be freed from my addiction to comfort. I want to be freed from fussing over the trivialities of faith so I can know the power of Jesus. Who do you want to be when you grow up? Whether you're 7 or 77, who do you want to be when you grow up? Not what do you want to be, doctor, lawyer. Not where do you want to be, I'd like to be in Hawaii. Who do you want to be? I want to be just like her. And I know one of the ways I'll get there is if I do what she did. Get out of myself and participate with God in setting trapped people free because when we do that, when we set the captives free, the people we free first and foremost is ourselves. Lord, thank you so much for this promise. Lord, I ask that you would help us to identify those people in our midst who are oppressed by whatever, Lord, and help us to be your agent in bringing them release. And Lord, we also pray that you would help free us from the things that hold us captive so that we can know you and know your power. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.